Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 29th, 2021, including Microsoft revealed that Xbox made a lot of money last quarter, Forza Horizon 5 is rumored to take place in Mexico, 13 more Xbox games just got FPS boost support, and more. keep reaching out to me and saying jesse we're fast approaching episode 100 what are you going to do in celebration of the 100th episode of xbox on and to be honest with you this is something i've been dreading for quite a while now because guys i don't you know i don't claim to know about computers and technology it's not my strong suit so i'll just be honest with you about a big fear of mine and that's that i don't know how my computer is going to react when we change the save file formats of these podcast episodes from from double digit numbers to triple digits. So I'm kind of worried that once we turn from episode 99 into episode 100 beginning next week, we might have some Y2K Xbox on edition type issue on our hands. So honestly, I'm not really looking forward to episode 100. If anything, I'm just I'm, I'm scared that maybe the the computer will implode on itself and the file will corrupt and the entire show will go offline and that we'll be without Xbox on for uh, the rest of forever. So that's actually my big concern with us approaching episode 100. But man, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I hope we don't experience the Y2K of, of Xbox podcasting next week. But here's hoping. All right. Now, just as a reminder, today, as I'm recording this Wednesday, but it will go live Thursday, of course, Second Extinction is now available. This is a Xbox console exclusive, or at least for now it is. The game's an early preview. Um, you may remember this game from last May for that uh, Xbox Series X third-party showcase they did. Um, this is that Left 4 Dead-looking dinosaur game from a developer, Systemic Reaction, the which are one of the teams of Avalanche Studios. So Avalanche Studios, the guys that made Just Cause, it made Rage 2 for uh, Bethesda, and id those guys spun off into like three sub studios and this is systemic reaction this is one of the three studios this is their first kind of proper release as their own sub studio of avalanche so you know it's uh i I thought this game just before we record the podcast or just before i record the podcast i finished downloading it and jumped in for like 10 15 minutes just to get a, a feel for the controls just to even see if the game exists really and uh so it's in early access so obviously you know it's available to game pass uh users but it's it's not a completed project so keep that in mind but I literally played the tutorial and then five minutes of an, an expedition mode or whatever. I don't know why I was expecting this to just be like Left 4 Dead with dinosaurs, and it kind of is, but I will say just based on the very, very, very limited time I've already had with it, it, it really feels like Apex Legends, so it's kind of weird. Like, you choose a character, and each character has different abilities and, and skills and stuff. It's kind of like a hero shooter in that regard, but the control scheme and feeling and everything is literally 100% exactly like like Apex Legends. So if you love the control layout and the feel and the physics and everything of Apex Legends, this is a great game for you. It 100% feels like Apex Legends. But yeah, after the tutorial, I jumped into like the one of the modes of the game. It seems like it does have like a weird open world aspect to it, which immediately has turned me off. Now, obviously, I haven't even begun to get into the basics of the game even. So like I have 
a lot to play before I can really say anything about it. But immediately I am a little turned off that there's a lot of like open world bullshit going on in this game because I want it to just be a linear level based or like room to room like zombie shooter, but with dinosaurs. But it looks like it's got some of that you know, co-op shooter action, but in an open world environment. So I guess because everything has to be open world, here we are. But nonetheless, I'm very excited to get into that this weekend. And I assume many of you probably are interested in it as it is a um, new game coming to Game Pass, a new console exclusive, a new big thing for the Series X to take notice of. Guys, we've gotten a lot of good content on Game Pass lately. You got MLB The Show, you got Outriders, you got Second Extinction. So lots of content this month, brand new launching into Game Pass optimized for new consoles. This is exciting stuff. Good good deal if you're on the uh, Xbox ecosystem. Now, that with that out of the way, I only have one correction or thing I want to bring up before we jump into the comments this week. And it's not a correction. It's really just a... I'm just digging up some old shit from a few weeks ago. Now, you may remember my whole thing on... Is Game Pass really profitable or or, uh, or sustainable? We went to that kind of whole conversation for a couple weeks. And I wanted to kind of let that lay because... I still remain somewhat unconvinced, even after it seems like most of you who wrote in kind of had a similar kind of had a similar stance of like, yes, it's absolutely profitable. And here's why. And and a lot of you gave some feedback and some of it I feel like was pretty constructive and, and interesting to, to think about. But for the most part, I remain mostly unconvinced that that Xbox is a profitable, profitable service for Microsoft. And then, you know, I kind of had that notion kind of doubled down on a little bit. Because I was listening to my favorite podcast, a podcast I reference sometimes on the show, uh, Sacred Symbols, which is Colin Moriarty's PlayStation podcast. And someone asked him about Game Pass, and he basically said exactly what I've been saying, which is, there's just no way Game Pass is profitable. And I thought he had some really good stuff to say about that, and apparently he did too, because earlier today he tweeted out some of those points that he mentioned in his podcast, and it started some online discussion, and I thought I would bring that here just so that you guys could hear someone who I think speaks to this a little more eloquently and kind of hear their take on it and uh, see see what that does to this conversation if I'm allowed to, to pull it back up. So, you know, Squall, first let me say, Squall Flips Mad Max, commenter on the show, says, 23 million Game Pass subscribers, profit, son. All right, hold that thought, Squall, and I'm not trying to make an example of you because, again, you could be right for all I know. I could be wrong. Who, who fucking cares? But I, I just want to, that's been the, that's been the perspective, but... Here's what Colin says. His tweet reads, My favorite industry scuttlebutt recently is about Game Pass's profitability. Microsoft itself won't say it's in the black, even when directly asked. It's nowhere to be found on the fi- on its financials. Surely you'd expect them to celebrate such an impressive victory. Why is it a secret? I don't get it. Microsoft can throw around buzzwords and stats all they want, but if Game Pass was in the black, they'd say so. They're a publicly traded company. Its profitability is the only question for me. So a couple things here. First of all, this is first sparked in response to Microsoft's quarterly earnings, which we will get into in the news as our first story of the day. But also, this is, again, this is this is about purely the argument that Game Pass is profitable, which has largely been echoed by, or largely been championed, an idea championed by Jez Corden of Windows Central. Again, someone we, someone I really respect and admire a lot, and I cite his articles quite often on the show, but I just find it hard, find it hard to believe him on this one. And, you know, Ever since he's been saying that kind of confidently, it seems like most of the Xbox community at large has been pretty quick to say, yep, Game Pass is profitable. Microsoft's making so much hand over fist money, blah, blah, blah. And everyone does the simple, I I see the most common, the most common retort is always the whole, 
X amount of subscribers times X amount of dollars per month for subscription equals this much revenue. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But you got to keep in mind, it's like the amount of money they're making from people subscribing to Xbox Game Pass doesn't mean that's the amount of profit they're making. You know, the revenue, revenue and profit are two different things, first of all, okay? They could be making shit tons of money, but you just think about stuff as simple as like, in the month of April alone, we got Outriders, a third-party game on Game Pass, launching day one. Uh, we In the month of April, we got MLB The Show, Sony's PlayStation exclusive, launched on Xbox's game subscription service on day one. Think about these games, Second Extinction even, which is a much smaller one than the first two, but still, you know, it launched into Game Pass day one kind of game. These are multi-million dollar contracts Microsoft is signing to get these games onto Game Pass. So yes, let's say they're making 200 million, whatever dollars a month on Game Pass alone, whatever it is. It's like they're signing, they're spending millions of dollars for these contracts, for these games. And then they have smaller contracts drawn up for all the other games, the older games that are coming into Game Pass and the games that they're renewing the contracts to keep on the Game Pass and all the people who run Game Pass as a fucking business and all the lawyers who drop the contracts and all the everything involved with this. It's a massive, massively expensive service to operate. So it's not really as simple as like, X amount of subscribers times X amount of dollars per month equals this much profits. Like that's that's just not how money works. It's not how business works. And I think a lot of times, especially with Game Pass, Xbox falls victim to that typical, and this is one area where I'll be really critical of Xbox in general, is that that Phil Spencer era, Microsoft PR hype train stuff they do where they don't ever say straight facts. They don't ever say obvious details. They just kind of come up with like, these workaround hype vague terms and stats and just kind of like drill that into the community. So they don't go out and say things like Xbox Series X has been incredibly has been incredibly successful since the jump because it has already sold blank million copies. It's like no or, or blank million units. They don't say that because that's not how Xbox talks about their numbers and they haven't talked about their numbers that way since around the beginning of the Xbox One days. Instead, they always say things like, oh, we're really proud of the Xbox Series X. Uh, players have already put X amount of hours worth of gameplay and um, uh, unlocked uh, X amount of gamer score worth of achievements over the past five months. And, oh, we're really excited with how Xbox is doing because it's generated um, X amount of dollars from uh, microtransactions from companies uh, who develop games in Sweden but get tax breaks from other uh, Eastern European countries. It's just like they have these like really weird vague like gymnastic style statistics that they love to like tout to make people think that like wow xbox is on top xbox is doing incredible and, and don't get me wrong xbox is doing really really well it's a it's a very profitable business microsoft's making i'm sure they're very happy with how the brand is growing and the kind of brand strength has has solidified in recent years in particular. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say Xbox is some bullshit brand that, that isn't worth a damn and Microsoft's just lying to us about it. But I'm saying this whole idea that like Game Pass is super profitable is just kind of bullshit because like what Colin's saying in his tweet here, it's like if Microsoft Microsoft's a company, they're a publicly traded company. If my if Game Pass was a super profitable uh, uh, vertical of the business for them, they would be telling investors, "Yeah, we're making so much fucking money in Game Pass. Please value our stock highly. Please buy our stock. Please invest in us." Because look at Game Pass; it made X amount of dollars. It made X amount of profit last quarter. This and that. They would they would say these things. Listen, if Xbox Series X was outselling PlayStation 
if Xbox One ever outsold PlayStation 4, you would know because Microsoft would be so quick to be like, yes, and Xbox One is the best-selling console in the fucking world because we're beating PlayStation and we're selling more than anyone because we rock and they suck. And they would be so quick to say that because one, it's great for the brand, or two, it's great for the fans, but three, and most importantly, so this should be one, it looks good to investors. They are a publicly traded company. They want the best image for themselves out there as, at, at possible. So the fact that they don't say things like Game Pass is very profitable. Instead, we get things like Aaron Greenberg saying things like, um, well, we're Microsoft. We don't really have to be. Uh, that's not really the point is the profitability. It's there's, there's other ways in which Game Pass is advantageous to us. And then what happens is the fans jump in, they fill in the blanks, they create the math, and then they go, yeah, Xbox Game Pass is super profitable, guys. We're doing great. And it's like, okay, but we're running away with this 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 conclusion here that Microsoft didn't give us. We gave ourselves because we just di- we just decided to just do some rough fucking uh, some rough napkin math and then run around the internet saying that this is factually correct. And it's just it's just not. So this is something that I just I cannot get over because I, I appreciate all the feedback we got and again I could be wrong maybe Game Pass is incredibly profitable and Microsoft just likes to run their business poorly and not tout the fact that it's profitable because they don't want people to invest in them I don't know maybe that's a thing that's happening but I just find it hard to believe when they just they just always give us these like alternate statistics and these weird gymnastic style kind of PR sounding numbers that are just like oh man Xbox had the highest percentage of players using Xbox controllers uh, in the months ranging from uh, March 2021 to March 32nd, uh, April 2023, and it's just like, what? What are you even saying? You're not even. You're not even making sense at this point. But again. I feel like way too often it's the fans jump on Twitter and they're just like, okay, all right, uh, Microsoft said Xbox is selling a lot of accessories times uh, 300 million Americans uh, subtracted by how many COVID deaths equals, well, Game Pass is incredibly profitable, guys. And if you don't believe me, you're a fucking idiot. And I'm going to quote tweet you and make you look like shit. And then all the PlayStation fanboys are going to get whiny and all the Xbox fanboys are going to like me and follow me. And then uh, I don't know, man, it just I just don't buy it. And I want to add, you know, Destin Legary, who works for IGN, responded to Colin Moriarty's tweet about this specifically, and it was a Microsoft Power, an MS Power User article from last September, so from a little while ago. And it was the article is going over a uh, an episode of the podcast What's Good Games, which Aaron Greenberg uh, was on, and he spoke with uh, he spoke with the host of the show, basically saying, "Let me just read you this excerpt from the article." The article reads. Uh, speaking on an episode of What's Good Games podcast, Xbox marketing gen- marketing general manager Aaron Greenberg explained that while the subscription service isn't extremely profitable, Microsoft is in a very early privileged position where they don't need to worry about short-term profits. Profits, saying, "quote We always kind of laugh. We just say, listen, uh, please don't worry about us. Microsoft is going to be all right." Greenberg revealed that that there's a type of mindset when building a subscription-based platform a la Netflix compared to other forms of business, one that the de- one that's dependent on long-term success. Saying, "quote It's a different mindset because if you do." optimized for profit, you can either say, how do we get as much profit out of each customer? Or do you pivot to this opposite of, and say, uh, how do we add as much value to our fans? Or how can we actually over deliver on value? And if you do that, you build fans for life. Much like Netflix, Spotify, Amazon Prime, Greenberg explained that the growth of Xbox Game Pass over time is what's important, something the company is very focused on supporting going to the next generation. And then, so I'll, I'll stop there and just say, Listen, obviously this article is a little dated. It's about nine months old. 
this is from right before the Series X came out. And so obviously, yes, Game Pass numbers have grown since then. Uh, the Xbox perception and brand has changed a lot since they've had a whole new generation of console launch. And so I understand things have changed between now and then, but I don't think to a point where this this article isn't pretty relevant. And so props to Destin for kind of coming back with this because I think I think it, one, kind of combats the 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 opinion that Colin and myself are kind of taking as well as also speaking to it a little bit which is to say you know think about it like this Microsoft is such a filthy rich company we talk about it all the time on this podcast if anyone can afford to sustain a business model that is that that is just hemorrhaging money for years and years and years on end before it becomes profitable or valuable for them it's a company like microsoft that can that can sustain it that can do that so i think that right there alone answers the is it sustainable question well they're microsoft so yeah i guess game pass is sustainable if microsoft wanted to fucking give every american five bucks a month for the rest of eternity it'd be sustainable because they're microsoft they can they can own you if they want but the question of is it profitable i i still i still deeply question and i think this article speaks to that in the sense of microsoft is basically revealing here or aaron greenberg is revealing about Game Pass here that profitability isn't even so much the question or 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 what Microsoft is after with Game Pass and it's about building the fan base. It's it's about kind of strong arming Sony out of the out of the number one spot in gaming by saying, listen, if we put Xbox everywhere through xCloud and PC and, and console hardware, traditional console hardware like Xbox, and then you throw something like Game Pass on top of that. Basically, we can use our strength, our power, our online service, our cloud infrastructure, and our massive, massive, massive amounts of capital to basically just push Sony out of the number one spot. Because, well, why is Sony winning? Because they have great marketing, they have great brand recognition and strength with fans, and they have a long history of releasing really, really good games and being all about the games and the gamers. Well, we can kind of push them out of that number one spot because at the end of the day, Sony doesn't have nearly as much money as Microsoft. So Microsoft can use that money to buy whatever goodwill they want, to buy whatever value and brand they want. And that's kind of what Game Pass is all about if you really think about it. It's not about making Game Pass profitable so Microsoft can make money off of Game Pass. It's about making mine. Uh, it's about making Game Pass such an incredibly alluring deal that people would be stupid not to have it. And then you just grow your numbers like crazy. And even if Game Pass doesn't become profitable in a year or two years or three years or whatever, the value is that now people love Xbox. Now people respect Xbox. Now people buy Xbox. Now people use Xbox accessories and services. So it makes the brand incredibly valuable and strong. And it makes the company and the brand profitable in other ways and other areas outside of Game Pass. And of course, as many of you have mentioned, we see that in things like lots of Game Pass subscribers buy more in-app purchases. They download more DLC. They buy more games because the sale prices and things like that. But also, you know, the more people like and respect Xbox, the more they'll buy additional controllers, the more they'll buy Xbox hardware, the more they'll recommend to their friends to try xCloud instead of using fucking Apple Arcade. Whatever the case may be, this just, you know, strengthens all facets of Xbox's gaming brand, right? So that I think is the bigger picture with Game Pass. It's less so how do we make this 10 to $15 subscription service profitable and more so how do we use this as a way to just get massive amounts of fucking people to like our brand. It's kind of like the Disney thing, right? Disney doesn't make movies to make money off of movies. I mean, they like to make money off their movies, but Disney makes movies to sell you plush dolls and action figures and a bunch of cheap plastic made in China. It's the reason why Disney has theme parks. They don't want you to go 
ride roller coasters and have a great time and leave. They want you to buy corn dogs and fucking stay in hotel rooms and things like that. It makes them lots and lots of money. So it's it's the the front to make money on the back end. And that's kind of what Game Pass is. It's it's the hemorrhaging money massive money sink that Microsoft can afford to be involved in that helps them make money in the back end by valuing the brand and making other aspects that are more profitable of the company to be more alluring to the user. And we'll stop there. I, I just, I, again, you can tell I'm very, this is something I'm very fixated on, but I just wanted to bring that up. I think the big takeaway here more than anything is I think sometimes Xbox fanboys, not saying anyone in this audience or anyone who commented in, this is more so things I observe through Twitter and other miserable places like that, where I think there's just too many fanboys who are willing to eat the PR and then turn to their audiences or their friends and then do the napkin math and try to make up a narrative to defend Xbox. And in reality, Microsoft doesn't need the defending. Again, like Colin says very, very well here, if Xbox was so profitable, Microsoft would be quick to say, yes, it's profitable, but they're not. Instead, they just tell you that Game Pass uh, broke the world record of number of players who were playing the Game Pass service on Xbox hardware in the months of, of January through April. It's like, okay, that means nothing. Microsoft knows the numbers better than anyone because they're the ones signing the contracts. They're the ones spending the money. They're the ones running the service. So... Until they say it's profitable, I don't know that I believe it. So that's that. Man, we've already basically done a whole podcast and we haven't even gotten to comments. So let's just jump straight into the comments. You guys know how this works. It's our usually our opening topic. You go over to YouTube.com. You jump over to the Xbox on podcast playlist. It's on my channel, Second Best Gaming. You click on the latest episode, leave a comment, and I will almost definitely read it, especially if you've never commented before because I want new voices to be heard. You hear that, Lethal Migraine? Just kidding. All right. Our first comment, three weeks in a row, Corey Long coming back for episode three of the uh, Taco Bell Sister Saga saying, I'm cutting this comment and drop a smidge close to the next episode. I've been taking many naps. Thanks, COVID. Anywho, I didn't want to spend 70 plus dollars like our friend Joe over there. Maybe he can give us both some good financial advice. The chicken chalupa is absolutely my favorite. Without a doubt, I usually pair it with chicken quesadilla for some subtle spice. All right, Corey, you've earned yourself a lot of respect after last week, losing a little bit of respect for not for not digging deeper into the best side of the Taco Bell menu, but instead ordering many cinnamon sweet items. So first of all, Big congratula- congratulations to you there uh, that you have redeemed yourself, not that you need to redeem yourself in my eyes. It doesn't really matter. But more importantly, you've redeemed yourself in the eyes of the Taco Bell community, and that does matter because, as we all know, the Chicken Chalupa, uh, not only, as you say here, is your absolute favorite, I think it's unanimously everyone's favorite. And if you're wrong, and if you don't agree with that, well, then you're probably a communist. And then you say you pair it with the chicken quesadilla. Now, I don't know why in my mind I just picture someone taking a chicken chalupa, smashing it into a chicken quesadilla, and eating it as one item. Uh, but I don't think that's what you mean, but that's what I envision, and I just think that sounds great. So thank you for clarifying there. It sounds like you're uh, at least doing some well enough to comment in, so hopefully your your COVID adventure is almost over. But continuing on, Sarugi1 jumps in and says, Still live, thanks for the concern. Usually listen to the podcast on my commute to and from work, and by the time I'm going where I'm going to, I'm too focused on what I'm doing to remember to comment in. Sarugi, you didn't need to post a comment here and explain yourself to me. You're the moderator here, okay? And I don't think you understand the power you have. If you want, you can cancel me for all you want. You can tell me when, when I've crossed the line, so... Don't ever feel like you got to come in here and explain yourself to, to us, Sarugi. You just come and go as you please, and we're all grateful to have you when we have you. So 
please, please don't let me get in your way. And thank you for gracing us with your commentary this week. Now, I need to address the pinned comment, you know, on YouTube, how the video creator can pin a comment to the top uh, of the comments board. Whatever. Uh, well, I pinned a comment this week from Palanti Ravindra Babu, who commented at 1 minute and 18 seconds, uh, premium private sex 100 emoji. Click here, hotgirls.to. And then a bunch of Japanese characters and numbers on the bottom of the, tw- of the, of the uh, almost of the tweet, of the, um, of the comment. So I, uh, I, I did pin that as the pinned comment this week because I definitely think it's the most creative comment someone left this week. I don't really know what to make of this other than to say clearly Palanti Ravindra Babu wants you guys all to know about premium sex, premium private sex. So if you're interested, click on that link at your own discretion, uh, at your own risk and uh, see, see what that gets you. Uh, now next tech daddy K who still holds the spot for the best username in the comments uh, writes in and says, you might want to check that pinned comment. Oh, Tech Daddy, I checked it all right. Continue on. Anyway, maybe around a month or so ago, I left the com- I left a comment that I was starting my first ever playthrough of the Halo games. You told me to let your audience know what's going on, so I wanted to give you a quick update. I played 1 through 3 so far, and I'm playing through Reach right now. Next, I'll work on ODST. There, update complete. Tech Daddy. One, thank you for the update, but two, you just, you just told us what you did. You didn't give us, like, an update on your thoughts or anything, so Tech Daddy... Give us your thoughts on Halos 1 through 3 now that you've completed them. Give us give us your thoughts because you are a thought, Tech Daddy. We all we all love you for it. Please. Now, regarding MLB the Show, uh, Squall Flips Mad Max jumps in and says, "I've been playing MLB the Show and when I saw that the pl- and when I saw that PlayStation logo on the boot up screen, I was laughing like I couldn't believe Xbox went and got Sony's game and stuck it on their service." And then Count Skyler jumps in and says, I've really been enjoying MLB The Show. I've not played a baseball game since Super Baseball Simulator 1000 or Ken Griffey Jr. This new baseball game has been a real treat. So plenty of people out there enjoying Sony's premier baseball game on Xbox. I know I have been a little bit this week when I had free time. So glad to see you guys enjoying it. And I know many, many of you are. Uh, Next up, Splodge, Sploge, or whatever his name is. We talked about this last week. Comments in and just wrote SPL. Some kind of some kind of character D three, some kind of weird keyboard you're using here. What what is this comment? All right, Splodge, you're banned. Until next week, you're banned. Fun question. Uh, Sam Torres writes in. Good shout out for Ratchet Deadlock. I read comments sometimes. The comment that game was my childhood is pretty rich. Jesse, what game is your childhood? I know you played a train or a tank game with your brothers or whatever, um, but is there another game that really filled your afternoons? Good job on getting your certification. It means you can enjoy better meals and theme parks in the future. All right, a couple things, Sam. First of all, I didn't get my certification. I'm working towards getting my certification, so... I can't do shit right now. All I can do is study, forget, study, stay up late, get very tired and study. So that's what I've been doing. But thank you very much preemptively. Thank you because I'm not giving up. I'm getting close to being ready to take my first exam. So thank you. Anyway, into your actual question. This is I, I love this comment. I love this question because this is a fun one. And I, I'll open the floor to anyone who wants to jump in and answer Sam's question here as well. But as far as games from my childhood that just like that really stuck with me or that I spent a lot of time with, uh, from my childhood, man, that's a hard one because, I mean, as you may know, as I've said once or twice on the show before, Xbox didn't really become a a mainstay of my gaming existence until 
I was maybe 10 or 11 or so because we got an Xbox pretty late into its cycle. I only really got to play it at my brother-in-law's house for the most part um, because he was the only person in my life that had one. So it wasn't until my older brother finally got one about a year or two before the 360 came out that I really got any any super big exposure to Xbox, but I've been gaming since I was like four years old. So my earlier gaming days were predominantly PlayStation one and Game Boy color actually. And then, and then a bunch of ROMs that my brother, my older brother's friend uh, burned on a disc for us of old NES, SNES and Genesis games. So I played a lot of NES Genesis and SNES on the PC from illegal ROMs. Uh, I played a lot of PlayStation one. That's probably what I played the most growing up because that we had one and my, my older brother had a Game Boy Color. So honestly, I would say my early days, I remember playing lots of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I remember playing lots of Spyro the Dragon and I remember playing lots of Super Mario Bros. Deluxe, which was the Game Boy Color uh, port of the original Super Mario Bros. So those are three games that definitely jumped to mind. But, you know, when I got a little bit older, around the time I turned like six, my mom got me a a used N64 for Christmas one year with Smash Brothers. I remember like being super excited for Smash Brothers and then being like, yeah, all right, I want like a real game. And then with my Christmas money that year, we went to Rhino's, shout out to Rhino's video game store, which is now a defunct brand, Blockbuster Bottom, and we all know what happened to Blockbuster. In fact, the, the Rhino's video game store we used to shop at in Georgia went from being a Rhino's to a Blockbuster Game Rush, which was Blockbuster's like game store. And then GameStop bought that out and now it's a GameStop if it's if it's still even open. So I don't even know why I'm telling you that. But anyway, after I got my N64, we went to Rhino's game store and I bought Super Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie. And I will say those are probably the two games. Uh, those games were different for me because I wasn't playing it on like a, a console I shared with my siblings or like my brother's Game Boy or like our family computer. This was like these. the N64 was really special to me because these were the games I played on my first ever owned, like fully owned console. Like this was the N64 was like mine. It was in my bedroom. It was like my thing that I got to be a wimpy little whiny, selfish bitch about and be like, don't touch it. It's mine. So the N64 is really sticks to me for that reason. So I remember playing lots of Banjo Kazooie, lots of Mario 64 Spider-Man on N64 was fucking awesome. That, tr- uh, that, um, that's a uh, never soft, never soft Spider-Man. That game is fucking awesome. I played the shit out of that. Eventually I got a Game Boy Color and then a Game Boy Advance. So, you know, like typical stuff. I, I, I very much grew up a Nintendo fanboy. So lots of Pokemon, Mario, Zelda, Metroid, shit like that. But yeah, I mean, those are the games that come to mind for sure is like the, the three, the 3d platformers for sure are the games that meant the most to me. And then my brother, one of my older brothers, when he finally got a Sega dreamcast, which was a, around the time I got an N64, lots and lots of Sonic adventure. <laughs> so Sonic adventure for sure is another one of those. It was like whenever I could play my brother's Sega dreamcast, I was playing Sonic adventure for sure. So those are the games that, that come to mind for sure, which explains a lot about me because even though Today, I play a lot more mature games. I play a lot of first-person shooters. First-person shooters are probably my second favorite video game genre. I must say, growing up, favorite favorite genre is always the 3D platformer. And still to this day, I'll say my favorite genre is the 3D platformer. It's just a genre that unfortunately doesn't get enough, doesn't really get a lot of love anymore. You know, unless you're Nintendo making the rare 3D Mario game, which they make once every billion fucking years, which is always excellent when we do get them, but they're always so few and far between. Unless you're Nintendo making one of those games, you just don't really get 
good 3D platformers for the most part these days. Uh, I know I had it in time, and there's some other recent recent examples of good ones. But yeah, thanks for writing in. That's a, that's a fun question. But yeah, I mean, Xbox was later, and and when it was Xbox, it was easily Halo was the game that sucked me in. But that wasn't until I was you know, 10, 12, that I really started getting into like Halo and Xbox and stuff like that. But once I did, it was a slippery slope. My life became all about juggling my two girlfriends, my Nintendo Wii and my Xbox 360. That was, that was like my middle school, high school days was trying to, trying to love them both without the other one finding out. So thank you for writing in with that, Sam. And like I said, anyone else wants to answer that? I think that's a fun, that's a really fun question. Uh, speaking of Insomniac, which I mentioned vaguely when I said Spyro the Dragon, ooh, Ratchet and Clank, that's another one. When we got a PS2, Ratchet and Clank was definitely a really big one for me. Anyway, speaking of Insomniac, Lethal Migraine says, I did play Sunset Overdrive, and I didn't like it at all. I couldn't give one shit about Insomniac. They make exactly zero games I want to play. It's great. You like Insomniac. Enjoy. But they make just niche, throwaway games. Some comic book characters I have no interest in, whatever. Oh, what's that? You hear that? Hello? Oh, hi. Yeah, this is Jesse. No, you're good. I'm just in the middle of recording a podcast. What? Oh, Lethal Migraine? Yeah, I know Lethal Migraine. What about him? Oh, God. Really? You're... Oh, my God. You're arresting him because he hates Sunset Overdrive? Well, no. I mean, yeah, he, he said it plain and clear. It's right here on the on the text. I'm seeing... I, I can see his comment right here. Yep. Oh... All right, I mean, hey, go easy on him. He's He, he means well, he just hates good video games. All right. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Life sentence, you say. Okay. Well, tell him Jesse wishes him well. All right, you too. Bye. Well, Lethal Migraine looks like you're going to jail for life, so fuck you. <laughs> OG Man jumps in here and says, you know, OG Man, our star pupil, says, Jesse, born and raised in Texas, can confirm Saltgrass is, is pretty popular here. It's good. Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, one of my favorites also. But Del Frisco's takes the cake if you don't mind dropping $200 for a night out. All right, guys. And for a little bit of context, that's those are all, of course, Landry's owns restaurants. You guys know me. I'm a big Rainforest Cafe guy, big Landry's guy. OG man, a Texas native, which is where Landry's is from, out here telling us how it is in, in Texas where everyone is is a good person and they like Landry's. They're eating the Bubba Gum Shrimp. They're eating the Saltgrass Steakhouse. That makes me very happy to hear, OG man. But I got to be honest with you, Bubba Gum Shrimp, I, I walk by one all the time. It's right there when you enter Universal here in, in Orlando. I never, I've never been to it. I've always wanted to. I'm, I'm really hoping to go. Uh, I still haven't gone, but it's we're that close. I can feel it deep in my bones that we're just a couple months off from my first visit to a Bubba Gump. Now, as far as Del Frisco's goes, no one's got, no one's got money for that. OG man. Come on. All right. Go take your fucking, go take your Xbox game pass revenue and, 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 and eat, eat at some other fancy ass steakhouse. You, you, uh, you, uh, you elite. Now, speaking of food, Mr. Mickey jumps in and says, Mr. Mickey has lost weight. Red meat is good for you, Jesse. So don't you ever cut it out of your diet. Also, I miss the double Dia with chips and salsa and the custom burrito I would make at Taco Bell. That's a very conflicting comment because the first part and the last part don't make sense together, but congrats on losing weight. I also missed the double Dia at, at Taco Bell, but if it were still around and I were eating it, I don't know how it would be possible for anyone to lose weight. But nonetheless, congrats to you. Taco Bell, listen, Taco Bell's broken everyone's heart. That, that's Taco Bell's MO in this world. It's not to be the best fast food Tex-Mex restaurant out there. It's to 
at le- make at least one item that everyone can fall in love with so that they have an equal chance to break everyone's heart at one point or another by, you know, just completely obliterating that, that menu items existence and just never, never allowing us to have it again. So I feel you, Mr. Miggy, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm praying for you, you know, trust me. I know what it's like to lose something you love Mountain Dew whiteout windows phone, whatnot. So I'm thinking of you, but uh red meat, I, I didn't cut red meat out of my diet. I just reduced the amount of red meat I consume. It's, it's really not that hard, man. I think I think fish and chicken are are much better than red meat on on the daily, but of course nothing tops a good steak when when you can have it. But come on, you, you can't be eating steak all. The, listen, man, I eat like shit, and, and I'm proud of it. But the other day when I had a steak at Saltgrass, which was like the first time I had a steak in a long time, I honestly felt like death was just around the corner. So like you you can't be eating red meat all the time like that. But whatever, man, it's your life. You you do what you do what you gotta do. Now, real quick, Squall flips Mad Max, which I still really don't understand your name at all. Jumps in for one last time this week and says, "If there's a new Resistance game, I'd play that game day one. I'd buy a PS5 immediately." So I want to put this out there because not only did Flips want to want to comment in with that, but Sony, you heard the man. If you want to sell one more PS5, you better go and make that Resistance game. And now Arctic Chief, who we haven't heard from in a minute, feels like, I don't know, wants to jump in. Tell us about a good experience using Project xCloud on mobile devices. You say, Jesse, I broke my ban last week to tell you that I had a new wireless Xbox headset in my hands. However, I couldn't get a hold of you in time for checkout. I left it there and someone scooped it up. And other news, I love playing on my Razer Kishi, mainly during lunch breaks at work or sometimes on my couch when I don't want to be locked in my own game room. My complaint with the Kishi though is the fact that there aren't no good grips. There are no there sorry, there are no grips. So like you said, it feels like the Switch in which I have a a comfort grip uh, to make the handheld more comfortable. FPS games are difficult to play without a true comfort grip. Arctic Chief, thank you for writing in with this because I just realized what a dumbass I am. I think that's the problem because on the Switch, I, I never come up with this problem on Switch because I don't play FPS games on Switch. Like, I, I own an Xbox. Why would I play FPS games on anything other than an Xbox? The premier place to play X, uh, FPS games, offset sticks for life. Anyway, but I, I think you're entirely right here. That is the problem with xCloud. I, I suppose, other than, I think the Switch feels a little bit better than these Razer accessories. But but that's a good point. The, the grips matter so much in getting a good control over like an, an FPS camera. And maybe that's why I find xCloud so insufferable on my little razor accessory, but good call out. Hopefully someone addresses this. I feel like there's gotta be some third party accessory out there that, that addresses this, but something that something to consider next time I'm feeling like burning money on another gaming accessory. I don't need now. Let's wrap up with just a couple more quick comments about uh, continuing with xCloud. Count Scott wants to let us know that, uh, I want my iOS xCloud invite. Count Skyla, I feel very bad because I got my invite. Oh, I played xCloud on, on Google Chrome, and I gotta be honest, Halo 3 on my Surface, not a bad combination. So ho- hopefully you get your invite soon. Now, wrapping up with with Switch, with Nintendo Switch in Japan. Dead Captain James, our OG commenter, our favorite commenter other than an OG man and Mr. Miggy and the others that I love, Count Skyla and, and Sarugi and Lethal Migraine, and just pulls out a laundry list of everyone who's ever commented. Anyway, Dead Captain James says, I've been playing my Switch exclusively for the last two months. The busier I become, the more I love the Switch. It's the perfect console uh, for the busy gamer. I made sure to comment this week and not to just comment in my head, lol. Thank you, Dead Captain James. Your your comments are like oxygen, and without them, I simply cannot breathe. Now, 
I feel like I have nothing to say to this because just putting this out there into the ether is all the fuel we need for Lethal Migraine to go nuts and, uh, and jump in here and pwn us all for speaking well of the Nintendo Switch. I, I agree. The Nintendo Switch is a really nice thing to have on. Like, if you just want to, like, lay on the couch and have YouTube... Like, this is one of my favorite things to do on, like, a lazy Sunday afternoon is just have YouTube running in the background playing God knows what, something you're, like, so half-heartedly interested in, and then just be playing your, your Nintendo Switch or dicking around on your phone or whatever. It's Nintendo Switch is a very, very good device for that kind of thing. You play some kind of, like half plugged in game and just zombie out on the couch while whatever's on the TV is on and just kind of, you know, you're kind of half invested in both. You're like kind of paying attention to what's on TV, kind of paying attention to the switch, but not fully invested in either. Nintendo switch is a very, very good time waster for that specific purpose. I agree, but I'm glad you're getting a lot of use and enjoyment out of your switch dead captain James. But I do, I do need to remind you, this is an Xbox podcast. So for every nice thing you had to say about Nintendo, you had to say two nice things about Xbox. So please do come in uh, and tell us two things you love about Xbox next week, or else we will reject your fan card, uh, which apparently I've just given myself the authority to issue and, and revoke. Uh, and then lastly, Lethal Migraine, who is now imprisoned, I believe, says, How you identify Square Enix isn't how everyone does. I couldn't care less about Japanese role-playing games. So when I think of Square Enix, I think of Tomb Raider, and I think of Xbox. Also, Square made Outriders. Square didn't make Outriders, they published it. Uh, and, and due to game... And due to Game Pass, that game is associated with Xbox. Also, Square makes perfect sense for Xbox. Tango Gameworks would manage Square. Capcom makes more sense uh, for Xbox than Sega would. That's, of course, in my response last week to saying, I think Sega is the perfect Japanese brand to be associated with Xbox. But you're here saying Square. Lethal Migraine, you're not wrong about these associations. But the, the problem is, Tomb Raider's have heavy association with Xbox is very recent. It is a 2015 and beyond kind of uh um, kind of, uh, kind of association, and then Outriders and Xbox. That's a that's a couple weeks old association because remember that game's made by People Can Fly, published by Square Enix. But yes, I guess there is some Xbox. I mean, if you really want to get nerdy with it, yes, there's some kind of Xbox association because Square and Xbox have had some kind of deals recently, and also because People Can Fly uh, was really closely related with Epic back in the Gears of War days, and People Can Fly made that one Gears of War game that everyone hates, Judgment. So, yes, I guess with Outriders, there's some there's some connection and history there. But, I, I mean, the history with with Sega and Xbox, I think, is much richer and much deeper and longer and, and older, rather. So, I win, you lose, bye-bye. Not going to visit you in jail unless... Unless, I'll visit you in jail, Lethal Migraine. That was a mean comment. I'll, I'll visit you in jail. I'll bring you... When I come and visit you in jail, I'm going to bring you, I'm going to smuggle you in some Mountain Dew Whiteout so you can have something good to drink. I'm going to smuggle you in a PlayStation 4 with Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank so you have some good games to play while you're in the slammer. Because uh, I do that for you. I love you like that, Lethal Migraine. So that's going to do it for all of our comments and whatnot for this week, guys. Now we got to jump in quickly to the next segment because, man, this episode's already going long. Uh, episode 99, can you believe it? Well, I'm trying to keep it at 99 minutes, but I think we're going to go over. Uh, next up, I'm going to tell you all about what – oh, for next week, guys, don't be shy reply. But now I'm going to tell you all about what I've been playing. But before I can tell you anything about this, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. This past weekend, uh, my girlfriend and I went to a place at Disney Springs called The Boathouse. Now, this is a place we've had reservations for for a while. Um, not reservations about, like, we were apprehensive about it or something. Like, reservations like, 
like we had a dining reservation to go and eat there. So we made that reservation a couple months ago. I've been trying to try this place for years and years and years. This is not only is this regarded as like one of the best restaurants at Disney. This is regarded as like one of the best places to eat in all of Central Florida, which I guess depending on where you live, that might not be saying much because I know people like to hate Florida. But this place is, is is seen as a very good restaurant nonetheless. And I've been very excited to eat here and I've heard nothing but amazing things about this place. So Sunday night, we had the pleasure of dining here finally, breaking our boathouse virginity and and, and sitting inside the, the place on the water where they had the little boats and the little duckies and everything. And um, guys, this place is amazing. I just want to give a big old shout out to the boathouse because there you are at the Disney Springs uh, located at, at Walt Disney World here in Orlando, Florida. Um, although technically Disney's in Lake Buena Vista, Kissimmee. Shut up. Boathouse is a fantastic restaurant. You got the raw oyster bar. You got you got the burgers. You got the steaks. You got the seafood um, selection. You got the good cocktails. Listen, I had some uh, steamed clams. I had an old-fashioned. I had a blue raspberry looking fucking cocktail with a little rubber ducky garnish in it and uh and, and, and it was it was amazing i i don't this is listen this isn't a landry's restaurant i can't I, i'm not gonna feign some severe passion for this brand or this restaurant because i don't have it but this is a perfect example of a restaurant that you know, it has great theming and it has a great atmosphere don't get me wrong but this is a restaurant that wins because its menu is phenomenal. Everything we tried here was excellent. If you ever find yourself in the Orlando, Florida area, if you ever find yourself on a Walt Disney vacation, Walt Disney World vacation, you got to try the boathouse. It's phenomenal. A little a little expensive just by nature being like high quality, nice seafood. Um, but I think the menu is worth it. We we totally overate. It was something we were really looking forward to. So we ordered a lot of shit. Not a single thing we had was anything shy of very good. So... It, everything was ranging from very good to amazing. This this restaurant is very very nice, and I gotta say, as as a as someone who you know loves Landry's and is at Disney Springs, where you're just steps away from both T Rex and Rainforest Cafe, I gotta say, Boathouse was a restaurant that was so good that I could dine there and not feel not any guilt or regret for not having gone to the Rainforest Cafe. And I think that's about the highest praise you can give a restaurant. So. Boathouse, very, very good. I will be dreaming of that um, dreaming of that blue raspberry little vodka cocktail with the rubber ducky garnish for the rest of my life because it's just so cute. Now, that's that. Now, what I've been playing, guys, broken record time, studying a lot, so I'm not playing as many games as I used to, but I've been playing Outriders when I can. I really, I'm really upset because that... That game, I was I was so looking forward to that game, and it just came out at a time where I don't have time for it. So I'm trying to sneak it in where I can, and I'm really enjoying it. You know, when I do get to play it, I, I really really like Outriders quite a bit. I love that it feels like such a polished modern version of such a kind of dated 10 to 15 year old like gameplay loop and formula. It just feels like such a mid generation Xbox 360 game but with Xbox Series X graphics, and I, I love it for that. It's it's just so fun. Very, very good game. I played a little bit of the MLB The Show this past weekend. Uh, instead of actually watching real baseball, I just opted to play the game, and that was very nice, very chill game. It's play exactly the way I do on PlayStation. It's the perfect game to just put on and enjoy like you're watching a baseball game for like 
30, 40 minutes and then just turn it off and, and move on. It's almost like not even playing a game. It's almost more like watching a baseball uh, game instead. So that's, that, that's, that's good. And then other than that, I'm trying to milk the last few days of my HBO Max subscription before it expires and I never renew again because I cannot have another one of these TV subscription services. There's just too goddamn many of them. And I only did HBO Max because I wanted to watch the Justice League Snyder Cut and the King Kong vs. Diddy Kong or whatever movie that came out. And I don't regret it, but here's my dilemma now is HBO Max, I think, is objectively one of the best video streaming services and I refuse to keep it because there's just simply too many of these. So I just don't have the, not even about the money really. It's about the time more than anything. Like who has the time to dedicate to another one of these, you know, for every one of these services I accept into my life, that is that much less time I have for all the other ones I'm already committed to. So sure. I could take an HBO max in, into my rotation, but then there's just that much less time to, to use and get value out of my Netflix subscription or my Hulu subscription or my Disney subscription. So it just becomes this thing of like, you got to draw the line somewhere, respect your wallet, respect your time and, 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 and understand that you don't have to have it all. So in all fairness, if it weren't for the fact that I get Netflix for free through my phone service provider um, through my network provider, honestly, I would, I would just not have Netflix and have HBO max instead but because I get a, I get Netflix for free, it's like you got Netflix, you get Prime Video because everyone has Amazon Prime. I pay for the Disney Plus because I'm not going to not have Disney Plus. And then Hulu, in my, in my opinion, is actually the best. I still think Hulu is the best of all these services. I, I really love Hulu. So I, HBO Max has got to go. But I'm 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 bittersweet about it because in this month I tried to watch all the versus movie. I did the Godzilla vs King Kong movie. I did the Batman vs Superman movie. I did the Ford vs Ferrari movie. So all the ultimate matchup versus movies I tried to watch this month. I also watched the Justice League. I watched the King Kong movie that leads up to the new King Kong movie that I missed. I'm watching the new Godzilla movie that leads up to the new Godzilla movie that I missed from a couple years ago. Uh, I watched the new season of South Park. So like Tons and tons of good content on HBO Max. I watched that uh, Irresistible, that John Stewart movie from last summer. L- lots of good movies. I've I've probably enjoyed. Oh, I what am I saying? I watched Mortal Kombat this past weekend, which just came out. I've watched more movies this past month thanks to HBO Max than I probably watched all of last year. That's that's how much that's how much I've enjoyed the movie selection on HBO Max. So sorry to see you go, but. Uh, Hopefully I'll have more time for gaming once you're gone. So that's a that's an upside there. All right. And with that said, guys, I think it's time to jump into the news. Taking too long this week. Let's let's get into it. What we're all really here for. All right. As teased earlier, let's jump into the Microsoft's or specifically the Xbox portion of Microsoft's third quarter earnings for 2021 fiscal year, which window Windows Central reports on. So on Tuesday, Microsoft announced its third quarter earnings for its 2021 fiscal year on reporting a 19% increase in revenue year over year, clocking in at $41.7 billion. The company also demonstrated steady growth for its gaming portfolio this quarter with revenue up 50% over the same period in 2020, which remind you was already like super up because that was the start of COVID and whatnot, uh, attributed to a steady uptick across the uh, the complete Xbox portfolio. The latest quarter three fiscal year 2021 results uh, come almost six months following Xbox Series X and S's launch. 
its two latest hardware launches, kickstart, uh, kickstarting a new console generation cycle. High demand for the latest devices, still regularly out of stock among retailers worldwide, pushing hardware revenue up 232%. The Series X and S availability remains constrained by ongoing chip shortages, further amplified uh, by interest in the new console family. Xbox, Xbox content and services also saw an increase, jumping 34% up this quarter, attributed to the success of both Microsoft's published first-party titles and third-party releases. Microsoft also reports Xbox Game Pass subscriptions, its Netflix-style subscription service for Xbox, PC, and cloud gaming, among services-driven increased revenue. While Microsoft is yet to report new numbers, new member numbers for Game Pass, it's previ it previously announced 18 million active subscribers in January 2021. I think we can safely assume they're probably at at least 20 now, 20 million. Side note, Sony, and I just, I added this part in, side note, Sony also had um, some, some financial news, big one being that they did $25 billion in, uh, in revenue last year, and that PlayStation 5 has already shipped 7.8 million units uh, since its launch, making it the best the fastest best selling um sorry the fastest selling console in u.s history which is incredibly exciting and, and a big reason why i put that in there is because this is kind of a perfect example of what i was talking about earlier where microsoft gives you the vague fun numbers and, and this is more investor stuff so it's less like flashy for the consumer anyway but they're like xbox revenue jumped you know, Xbox content services went up 34%. It's like, okay, that sounds really good, but it's like Sony's giving you sexy numbers. Sony's saying, this is how many PS5s we sold, or shipped at least. And if it shipped, it sold for Sony because they, they can't keep a single one of those things in stock. But, you know, it's like, oh, you guys have already sold like 8 million PS5s? It's like, that's a pretty concrete number to work with. Microsoft, on the other hand, is not saying how many Xbox Series X units they sold because they're really good. It's a really impressive number, but they don't want you to know because it's not what play, it's not as good as what PlayStation's got. And uh, that, that's the kind of thing I'm always talking about here. But that's not how we're going to frame this story because the story is not about that. This story is about specifically Xbox's uh, growth and revenue. Yeah, this is this is good. This is what you expect, right? Obviously, COVID continues to be a factor in why games are performing really, really well. We know that gaming has jumped substantially. A lot, Lots of old laps gamers have come back to gaming since COVID. Lots of uh, gamers have fallen deeper into the rabbit hole with gaming. So gaming has just, a market that's already always been steadily growing and increasing has just boomed even more and, and even more exponentially since the pandemic began. So that's not surprising. So just kind of leave that to the side because duh. The bigger reason and the more, the other super big duh moment here is, hey, Xbox just released another console. A really important thing to notice, to note about this specific earnings report is this this is a specific report you only get once a generation right because and it's a little different this year than it was last time they did this because anytime your consumers know the next big console is on the horizon they're going to start slowing down on what they buy and then when the new console comes out they start buying again so for example what i mean is you know the the last couple quarters of the xbox 360 were probably pretty weak relative to the rest of the console's lifespan because Microsoft announced the Xbox One and people were like, all right, we're waiting for the new console to come out. Stop buying 360s. And you expect a similar thing to have happened this past year where, you know, Series X was announced in December of 2019. But because the pandemic happened at the beginning of 2020, rather than people being like, OK, that new Xbox is coming out at the end of 2020. Let's just stop buying Xbox Ones and start waiting for the new thing. People just 
kept buying Xbox ones left and right because the pandemic, everyone was furloughed or laid off or, or a quarantine at home or working from home or whatever it was, depending on who you are and where you work and whatever, everyone was stuck at home. So everyone suddenly was like, fuck it, buy an Xbox, fuck it, upgrade your Xbox, fuck it, buy a 4k TV, fuck it. We're stuck here at home. We can't go outside. We can't do anything. We can't see the world. We can't breathe fresh air. Let's play Xbox. And so last last year was a little interesting because a a quarter or a, a year, a fiscal year that should have been otherwise a pretty um, modest performing year because of anticipation of the new consoles ended up being really, really profitable and really impressive. And then this quarter, uh, a quarter that's generally a pretty impressive one because the launch of a new console is is only further you know, boosted in performance because of the pandemic. So you got these two like massive factors just joining forces for a release that I think is incredibly important, which is, you know, you get COVID still, still making people buy tons and tons of shit. You got these chip shortages that are making, that are adding this kind of scarcity to these brands, making people want this shit even more. Like I, I have a friend who, who plays Xbox who almost never plays Xbox. He owns an Xbox one S he plays like, a Lego game and sometimes Forza. And like, he, he's not, he, like he, he's very much like casual gamer territory. Nothing wrong with that, of course, but like, that's his thing. He'll play like a call of duty, a Forza doesn't spend too much time gaming, maybe only a couple hours a month gaming, whatever. He's been obsessed. He's texting me like every week, like, dude, any update on when I can get a series X, I'm trying to get a series X. I'm trying to get a series X. I'm like, dude, if you don't mind me asking, what's the game you're looking forward to? He's like, I, I, I don't know. All I know is right now I got this one console and it's uh, it's not as powerful as the new one. And I got to get the new one. I'm trying to get the new one. And oh, I almost had it yesterday on walmart.com, but then it timed out and it was sold out in two seconds and fuck my computer crashed. And I'm like, dude, chill out. Why the fuck do you need the new Xbox? All you're going to do is play like Lego, Indiana Jones and Forza. I'm like, and, and don't get me wrong. It's hypocritical of me to even ask the question because why the fuck do I need the new Xbox? But he's just like, I, I don't know, it's flashy. And the only reason I bring up this anecdote, aside from the fact that it's funny and I like to poke fun at my friend, um, is because he's a perfect example of what's going on right now. Is There are people who traditionally would be like him, and you know, his first Xbox One console was a Series S, which came out like three or four years after the Xbox One came out. So you have people like him who came into the Xbox One generation pretty late and kind of strolled in at his own leisurely pace, who are like trying to bust down the door and get their hands on the Series X because they're scarce, they're hot, everyone's talking about it, you can't find them, pandemic, fewer things to do, it's a, you know, just awesome, new, attractive piece of hardware, and, and everything just becomes amplified, the whole situation becomes amplified, so you have last year's last year's financials, which should have been tepid, which were extremely impressive because of the pandemic, and then you got this year's first financial report, or third quarter, because their fiscal year begins sometime like late summer or whatever, which is incredibly impressive because again, COVID plus new console release plus chip shortage and all this shit just makes all these things pop. And so Xbox is obviously enjoying lots and lots of uh, added boost in, in just word of mouth and in interest in their brand and things like that. So I think that's one thing that really helps, especially with the console hardware and the brand perception and all that and the value, whatever. The other thing is Xbox, like the, this combination of like Xbox Series S, Xbox Live no longer being a real thing that you need to worry about and just like Game Pass is just so enticing to be like, oh my God, I can buy this brand new console for 300 bucks and then for $10 a month, I just get access to all the shit. And, or you can just get the console for 300 bucks and then pay nothing extra and have your Call of Duty Warzone and your Fortnite and your Rocket League and all the free-to-play games that most people are playing anyway. And it's incredibly enticing. Xbox has got, got a lot of reasons to be excited here. So I don't know. I, I, there's no coherent thing to say here. I'm just, I'm just blurting out comments 
relating to Xbox revenue where I see fit. But again, I mean, you know, we got the hardware revenue up 232%. It was up a lot last year too. So I assume, you know, there's, there's no doubt that Series X and S are selling very, very well. I'm sure they've sold, you know, they, they sold every console they've been able to produce, right? So manufacturer rather. So five, six million units, whatever, I'm sure they've sold them, right? But but here's the thing is, to up 232%, well, what was up 232% of what? What was the, what was the, what were the numbers last time? Like, we don't know. So it's frustrating, right? As Xbox fans, we want to be excited. We want to know what these things mean, but it's like, oh, well, Xbox is doing really good. After all, they're up 232% in revenue sales. It's like, oh, cool. Like, so like how many Xboxes have they sold? It's like, fucking no. Uh, Sea of Thieves got a new update though. And so that's kind of what we're left with. And it's, it's not fun, but Microsoft has been doing this since the early days of the Xbox One. Basically, ever since they started losing bad to Sony in console sales, they've stopped caring. And now I can already hear you, Lethal Migraine, shaking shaking the, the, the handles on your, on your jail cell. Jesse, you idiot. Uh, hardware sales are hardly relevant anymore because it's about subscription. Yeah, I get it. But guess what? I'm a, I'm an old school gamer. We still give a shit about hardware sales. This stuff is fun to like who who gives a shit about whether or not it matters to Microsoft. Like and it does matter more than more than I think you you'd suggest, but who who gives a shit if, like if they're winning or losing? It's just fun for us as fans to keep up with this stuff, right? Like like all, here we are now two generation two console generations removed from the Xbox 360, right? And I can tell you Roughly, Xbox 360 sold like 80 to 85 million units in its lifetime. Why do I remember that number? We're two, we're two hardware generations removed from that box. Why the fuck do I remember that? I don't know. Why the hell do I remember that Treyarch developed Call of Duty the Big Red One as a testing bed to do Call of Duty 3 while Infinity War jumped from Call of Duty 2 to Call of Duty and Modern Warfare 2007? I don't know, because we remember stupid shit. That's what gamers do, because you, f- you fix it on dumb shit. That's what nerds do, because you fix it on stuff that doesn't matter, but... That's those are fun numbers to remember. Like you, you want to have that information. You want to have access to that. We know how Xbox 360 performed because in that generation, Microsoft used to talk to us, and now they don't, and we're just left kind of guessing. We know PlayStation sells more copies than Xbox. We don't know how many more. We're just and usually we get these kinds of like weird rough estimates from companies like EA when they say things like oh we're really proud of this game that sold 80 million units and they're like oh or we're really proud of this game that sold or they'll, they'll say things like uh we're really proud of this game that sold like 10 million units in a market of 250 you know million consoles and you're just like oh okay well this uh well this game was only available on Nintendo Switch on PlayStation 4 and on Xbox 1 so we know Switch's sales we know PlayStation sales so let's add that up subtract it from 250 and that's how many xboxes have sold and we we have weird little workaround numbers like that to try and guess you know guesstimate what xbox has sold but i don't know this is uh this is clearly not what the news is but this is my manipulation this is my twist on the stories i i'm i wish that xbox had more just straightforward numbers to give because this this stuff would be fun to digest and compare and think about um, but nonetheless, Xbox is making tons of money for Microsoft. I'm sure they're very happy with the brand. Obviously, things are really great right now because of the chip shortage and uh, the hype of the new consoles and the pandemic is drawing lots and lots of interest to gaming in general. So they re- remember, at the beginning of a console life cycle, unless you're in the Nintendo Wii U, 
unless you're the Wii U, the beginning of any console generation is great for any console manufacturer because you're going to sell every console you can possibly manufacture until you don't. So I assume, you know, and, and Xbox Series X and S are definitely going to do better than Xbox One, but I assume at least for the rest of the year, you're going to see pretty much every PlayStation 5 and new Xbox are just going to sell the second they go on sale or the second they, they are available for purchase. So it, it won't really be until sometime next year that we'll really start to get an idea of how much better is PS5 doing or how much is Xbox able to close the gap, you know, with all the goodwill they're doing, they're, they're building in Game Pass and all the new games coming out and everything. Like, what does that look like? And we're going to find out next year once these consoles become more readily available, once you're able to walk into a Target and see an Xbox Series X or see a PS5 on the shelf available for purchase. You know, once we're over the COVID hump, once we're over the chip shortage, once the, the hype cycle of the new consoles has died down a bit, that's when we start to really find out how everyone's performing is because that's when the product is on the shelf and people who want it can get it readily. And then then we see the numbers of, which one do people gravitate towards more? When when it's not about the hype, when it's not about the shortage, when the product isn't new and flashy and it's just a thing you can buy on your own time, that's when you find out which one's, you know, which one's the hot item and how much better one's doing than the other. So that's what we're looking forward to. So go ahead and just freeze yourselves for the next 12 months and we'll come back to this uh, and we will uh, see how the consoles are selling. All right, before we jump into our next story, I took a little break in between. I... I hit stop after the last story, and I've since consumed a magical Pop Rocks bonbon, some some snack from Harry Potter land, and I got, I got I got this treat in Harry Potter, and it's like white chocolate with Pop Rocks in the middle, and my entire mouth is popping right now, so excuse me if you can hear the Pop Rocks coming through the microphone is all I gotta say, but jumping into our next story, from Windows Central, the almost only source we ever cite. Playground games have yet to say anything concrete about Forza Horizon 5, to the point where we can't even be 100% sure that it even exists, although it almost certainly does. In place of official announcement for from the Forza Horizon team at Xbox Game Studios, Forza fans have had to make up with their own unofficial leaks, rumors, and speculations, and for a while, many Forza fans have hoped with bated breath about Forza Horizon 5 taking place in Japan due to the alleged leaked map, but a few rumors suggest that may not be the case. Well, according to Windows Central editor Jez Corden, who not so subtly hinted on Twitter that Forza Horizon 5 could potentially head to Mexico for its next locale, and he noted that industry insider Jeff Grubb responded to his his tweet with a tease of his own. While we don't have yet hard evidence confirming that Forza Horizon 5 is actually headed to Mexico, we can at least say that we've heard from trusted sources that it could indeed be the case. Be sure to take all of this with a hefty grain of salt, blah, 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 whatever, Playground Games hasn't said shit, working on Fable, whatever. This is interesting because I haven't followed many of these Forza Horizon rumors. Obviously, you assume Playground Games is split into two teams right now. You got the Forza team and you got the Fable team. It's not like everyone in the studio is all hands on deck on Fable while no one's doing anything Forza related. But it's hard to it's hard to wonder like what, what is going on with Forza because for so long, Forza had that really predictable schedule of one year it was Forza Motorsport, the next year it was Horizon, then back to Motorsport, then back to Horizon. And that's all been fucked up because, let's see, 2018 we had Forza Horizon 4, 2019 we had Forza Motorsport 7, and then in 2020 we didn't have a Forza game. But we did have the reveal of 
what's being called just Forza Motorsport, which is basically turning Forza Motorsport into a games as a service or like a, a Forza platformer, if you will, right? So I think that makes so much sense. And we've talked about this in the past that that makes so much sense for Forza Motorsport. But again, that leaves kind of in the open, like, okay, well, what does that mean for Forza Horizon? Because Forza Horizon's always been on a two-year dev cycle. And so 2021... So rather, actually, last year, 2020, would have been the Forza Horizon year, but we didn't get one. And so it's like, okay, do we get in 2021? Well, we haven't had the announcement. And keep in mind, Forza games are always, like, announced at E3, released that very fall. So there's only ever, like, a four-month, like, announcement to release kind of like marketing schedule for it. So it's very possible that this E3, uh, which will be in like a month and a half from now. Wow, one to two months. Wow, holy shit. By the time this story goes up, it's basically going to be May. And then yeah, about a month from now, we'll have E3. So there's the chance that Forza Horizon 5 gets announced in in just a couple weeks. Up until this point, we have no clue uh, what's going on. I, I assume they're working on Forza Horizon 5, I can't imagine. They just have like all hands on deck on Fable with like a small skeleton crew just doing maintenance and updates and stuff for Forza Horizon 4. That that would make sense. So Forza Horizon is that studio's bread and butter. I'm sure they're working on Horizon 5. Um, that being the case, you know, Jezcorn, pretty reliable source for the most part. I think Mexico is an awesome setting for Forza Horizon 5. I, I gotta admit, I think as and I speak for most when I say Forza Horizon is becoming the new Assassin's Creed where everyone wants a fucking Forza game set in Japan. We're asking for it. We're asking for it. We're asking for it. Pretty soon, if you don't give it, pretty soon, if you don't give it, you're going to have some competing racing company or racing franchise make their own new game that's like Forza Horizon, but only set in Japan. So they got to get around to this one. It's one of those no-brainer locations. Gamers always want the Japan location. When, when the shtick of a franchise is like, oh yeah, we make kind of the same game over and over again, but we pick a different setting. When the setting is kind of the character or the main point of a new game, every time, without a doubt, eventually gamers start going, okay, we want Japan. Okay, we want Japan. Honestly, I can't believe they haven't asked for a Far Cry set in Japan at this point. But again, it's like people have been rumoring and begging for and asking for Forza Horizon set in Japan since basically Forza Horizon 2 is the earliest I can remember people begging about that. And that was like... 2014 so it's time i'd really like to see them finally do that but if if japan is not the choice i think mexico is a really cool one i think dubai would be a cool one also i don't know there's a lot of cool settings they could do but mexico is a cool one i think they haven't had enough like you could do a lot of like desert setting and things like that which might seem a little bit redundant because i don't know maybe a little reminiscent of like the outback setting that forza horizon 3 had in australia but i don't think so much i don't know i I, i'd be pretty excited for a mexico setting i think it's a is a country that has enough geographical diversity that it'd be really interesting to drive around and see and i think mexico is mexico's culture is interesting enough that the game would feel markedly different from other entries in the franchise which is one of my few it's like my only complaint about forza horizon 4 which is that as an american i find i find england to be so incredibly boring cuz england just looks like you know england's history just looks like I don't know, Mexico's history and culture is like a lot more like rich and vibrant and interesting and and just different from like other entries. I don't know. I just feel like there's just more, there's just more like culture. There's just more like aesthetically that you can pull from in Mexico to make like a fun and interesting driving game than, than a setting like Forza Horizon 4, which is just like, oh, Great Britain. What have they done? It's a, yeah, Forza Horizon 2 was Southern France and Northern Italy. So it's like, I don't know. They just, they've, they've delved really heavily into like the European shit and then, you know, I feel like if they do North America, it's already too kind of like European influence. It'd just be cool to go 
to the east and do something really cool. But if you're going to do a kind of North American or European setting, yeah, do do Mexico. It's it's just more interesting than, you know, ah, France or UK or whatever. Just more like the typical whatever. All right. Oh, Forza Horizon 1 was Colorado. Why did I want to say California? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they've done the U.S. They've done France. They've done Italy. They've done Australia. They, they pretty much exclusively do, like, English-speaking countries for the most part. You know, France, whatever. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's I, – I don't know. I, I think Mexico would be a fun a fun one. They, they just need more – I think they just need more varied locales. I don't know. You know you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's just some kind of similarity to the, to the locations they've picked thus far. And I think they need to go a little wackier and wilder. Dude, Japan's fucking perfect because Japan has – Japan has, you know, snow in the north and – and islands and beaches in the south, and amazingly dense and, and like just dynamic and interesting metropolitan areas. Dude, Japan's the perfect setting, but Mexico would be a really, really good pick. This is a bad story because there's nothing, I'm not like adding any value to this. I just, this is just me picking which setting I think would be fun. So, whatever. That's, that's a fun story to do anyway. So, let me know what you think would be a good setting for a Forza Horizon game. I, 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 I stand with the majority here in saying that. Japan definitely would be a great one. I think Dubai would be also a really fun pick. Yeah, but for the love of God, like if they go if they go Europe again, if they're just like, oh yeah, the next setting is in Germany, I'll just be like, fuck me, man. I'm not even fuck it. I'm just sticking with Forza Horizon three. But uh, anyway, that unless they put the Cyber Truck in it, then I'll be I'll, I'll drop seventy bucks if you give me the fucking Cyber Truck. You can make a DLC at this point, okay? Tesla Playground Games, Microsoft uh, Xbox Game Studios. Listen, if you guys are out there, if you're listening, for the love of God. Get some more Tesla vehicles in Forza. I want, I want to drive a Cybertruck in a Forza game, and I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay good money for it too. But yeah, Mexico in Forza Horizon Five. Let me know what you think about that. No really substantial information other than just a bunch of people who have a good track record tweeting out some, uh, some like little, some little hype tweets for the most part. It seems like, but nonetheless fun to talk about our next one here from windows central again the xbox backwards compatibility team has revealed a staggering 13 new games that are being added for fps boost support which upgrades these aging titles with mass which upgrades these aging titles with massive improvements and performances of up to 120 fps all 13 games are published by ea and include fan favorites like three new battlefield games but both titanfall games mirror's edge both new star wars battlefront games sorry let me just read off the list so you know exactly which ones it is battlefield 4 uh, Battlefield 1 and Battlefield 5, all of those are now boosted up to 120 FPS. Uh, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which is the second Mirror's Edge game, boosted up to 120 FPS. I really wish it was also Mirror's Edge 1. Uh, Plants vs. Zombies, Garden Warfare, Garden Warfare 2, and Garden uh, and Battle for Neighborville, all boosted up to 120 FPS. Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, both boosted up to FPSs of 120 Titanfall 1 and 2, that's the most exciting one there for me, is the Titanfall games, both 120 FPS boost. Unravel 2 boosted at 120 FPS. That's cute. And Sea of Solitude, with this, which has been boosted to 60 FPS. That's the only one that's not 120, but pretty solid list of the bunch. For me personally, I think Mirror's Edge, Battlefield 1, and the Titanfall games are pretty good. Uh, Star Wars, I think, is pretty notable as well. But yeah, that's a, that's a solid list. Obviously, all very specifically EA titles, which we benefit from because EA plays in Game Pass and all that good stuff. But again, this is... You know, just a little wrap-up comment. This is the benefit of having Xbox. You can say, like I, like I was saying a week or two ago, what's really the, the point of having a PS5 right now? There aren't really any PS5 exclusive games, and the console isn't really respecting its heritage or any previous generations. So, what's really the point? Well, on Xbox, we have just the opposite because it's even though I mean we do have some console exclusives or multi-platform games that are incentivized for 
for next-gen consoles. We also have this whole backwards compatibility thing where every generation of Xbox games looks and runs better and has added bonus performance or features or whatever if you play on newer hardware. So I'm, I'm telling you, this is this is the big perk of being an X-Bot. But uh, next up, this one broke right as I was recording, so I haven't even read it yet. I just copied and pasted it into the news notes right as I was recording. So from The Verge, a site we don't quite uh, quote... All, all too often, we don't cite too often. Uh, Epic Games is holding back Fortnite from being available on Microsoft's xCloud gaming service, according to a new a new deposition made public as part of Epic Epic's case against Apple. The Fortnite developer views Microsoft's xCloud service as competition to its PC offerings, and the company is deliberately not offering Fortnite on xCloud as a result. And that's, of course, their PC offerings being the Epic Game Store. Uh, Joe Craner, Epic's vice president of business development, was questioned over Fortnite and why it isn't on xCloud. And he confirmed that it was a deliberate choice, saying, quote, We viewed Microsoft's efforts with xCloud to be, a compet to be competitive with our PC offerings. The court document makes it appear like, Cra uh, like Craner uh, may go on and explain why, but the next part of the question has been redacted. Fortnite is a free-to-play game on Xbox, and the only way to currently access the game on an iPhone is through NVIDIA's GeForce Now cloud gaming service. Epic Games partnered with NVIDIA last year to launch Fortnite on the GeForce Now and has helped NVIDIA offer a number of other games um, from its PC game store on NVIDIA's cloud gaming service. Where all the revenue from the original game's purchase or any in-app purchases goes to Epic rather than NVIDIA. As far as Epic is concerned, the, gaming, the game is simply running on a PC. This is likely the reason why Epic has favored NVIDIA over Microsoft to host Fortnite in the cloud. Microsoft doesn't currently allow rival game stores on Xbox or or xCloud in any form, and all the transactions go through the go through Microsoft there. In fact, Craner even admits that Epic Games hasn't tried to negotiate with Microsoft over the requirement to have to use Xbox Maker uh, Maker's Store and Commerce Engine. So this is really this is really interesting because I, I this is something I didn't even think of. I don't know. I, I never for some reason I feel like Fortnite I thought was on xCloud, but maybe that's just because I think I'm so used to seeing that stupid fucking Fortnite logo everywhere I look. It's just like I close my eyes and all I see is the fucking Fortnite guy with the blonde hair and the pinata and the pickaxe and everything. I'm just like, ah, ah, kill me and end this nightmare. But no, I guess it's uh, not on xCloud and it's not going to be, at least for the foreseeable future. This seems like a young mistake, you know? I feel like this is something Microsoft would have done like 10, 15 years, like 15 years ago. This is something PlayStation would have done up until pretty recently, this is something Nintendo would have done, you know, five, ten years ago. I feel like where where they'd be like, oh, that's competition. We can't put our thing there because we're afraid of not dominating the market with our closed ecosystem that we want to do. And it kind of seems like a little hypocritical considering what Epic is fighting Apple against, which is that... You know, Apple makes it so hard for creators to make money on their on their services. Epic's whole thing right now is like, hey, it's our content, it's our thing we're selling. These companies and these virtual app stores and, and, and these online stores are taking too much of a cut from developers and publishers or whatever. And that's kind of their whole thing right now. So I, I get it. Their deal with NVIDIA here is... You guys can stream a Fortnite, but any any money or transactions made in Fortnite through your service goes directly to Epic. They don't Nvidia doesn't get a cut of it. It's not like, you know, on Xbox, when Square Enix sells a sixty dollar game on Xbox, Microsoft gets like I think it's usually like twenty, thirty percent of the sale, and then the rest goes to the publisher. So, you know, 
these publishers only make so much of every copy sold. And that's how, you know, the Xbox store, the Microsoft store, the PlayStation network, all these things are profitable is because the owners get to take a cut from every game sold. And so that's kind of been Epic's thing, especially with Apple. Um, it's just, they, they want to, they want to get that cut. They don't want to give so much of their revenue to these store, these, uh, these storefronts. And so it's, it's interesting to see them basically tell people like, Oh, you want to stream Fortnite? You can do it on NVIDIA. Or if you want to play it on a PC, you can go through the Epic Game Store. But you cannot play Fortnite through xCloud because that's direct competition. We want you to go through NVIDIA so we can get all the money from your in-app purchases. We want you to go through Epic Game Store so we get all the money from your in-app purchases on Fortnite. And I don't know, man. To me, again, this just just screams like young company move. Obviously, Epic Games is not a young company, but Epic being the big bad epic that they are today who owns Fortnite, has the epic game store and is a force to be reckoned with and it's kind of like the second coming of valve you know that version of epic that's that's a new company that's a young company and i feel like these are the kinds of things you would have seen young xbox young playstation young nintendo do but nowadays you just see especially with xbox their their mantra is usually just like yeah fuck it put it everywhere uh we make money no matter no matter what, and it's a goodwill move for the consumer. This is one of those things where it's not a goodwill move for the consumer, although I don't know if the player base in the Fortnite market are going to be really affected as a result of this move because it's not like you can't play Fortnite on PC. You can still play it. It's not like you can't stream Fortnite. You can still stream it on the same devices. You just have to use a different service. So this is less of like a, oh, I can't play that game because I have PlayStation. It's only on Xbox kind of thing. This is more a thing of like, Oh, I want to stream this movie. Is it on Hulu or Netflix? Just tell me which one I got to use because I have them all. So, you know, it's like people can still access Fortnite. They just might not get to do it on their preferred service, but they can still use their preferred hardware, if that makes sense. So I don't see this as being like a huge thing. I just I just see this in kind of an interesting way, especially considering what a great relationship Xbox and Epic have that you'd be it's almost surprising to see that they haven't had this conversation that you know, Microsoft hasn't tried to get Fortnite on xCloud or Epic hasn't tried to strike a deal with Microsoft to keep more revenue from purchases made in Fortnite from the Xbox store. Um, but, you know, again, with these two companies being companies that have had a great relationship for a very long time, again, remember Epic made Gears of War and Microsoft bought Gears of War from Epic and these, an Unreal Tournament and its history on PC and all these things like Epic and Microsoft go way back. So it's interesting, especially uh, lastly, because, you know, Microsoft kind of came to Epic's defense last year when they came out against Apple. So that's, that's the last thing I'll say to that. Um, this is kind of quick reactions because it's the first I'm really seeing this story, but yeah, man, I, uh, I don't know how long you'll see something like this keep up, but again, I, I ultimately, I don't see this decision as anti-consumer as not, as not exciting as it is. You know, it's never fun to see someone be like, Oh, well we're withholding this uh, pro consumer thing, uh, because money, 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 as much as that is the case, as much as that does suck, I just don't see this being a huge, you know, hit to the Fortnite community in any way. And I, I wonder if Microsoft feels like having Fortnite available through xCloud would really be that much of a benefit considering Fortnite has just, you know, already largely been available. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a short-sighted thing for me to say because Fortnite is just so massively big. It doesn't really matter what other services people can or can't use. It's like you still want Fortnite available on your service if possible because it gets people using your service, you know, even if it is uh, for one specific game and they're one specific game that only plays one specific game. So who knows? You know, I mean, you can think about it like this, the kinds of gamers that would subscribe to 
that wouldn't subscribe to Game Pass because all they play is Fortnite or Warzone or whatever, and they don't need an ex, uh, 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 Game Pass subscription, Game Pass Ultimate subscription. Those kinds of people might be a little more enticed to get Game Pass if they had the benefit of like, oh, well, you mean if I had Game Pass, I could stream Fortnite on my phone? Or if I had Game Pass, I could stream it on my PC or whatever? It's like now you might have given that person a little more incentive to give a shit about game pass so maybe i don't know maybe microsoft needs to do something about this go over to epic and try to start the conversation see what you can do um but then our last story our kind of wrap-up story um comes from ign who says that respawn entertainment the studio behind apex legends titanfall jedi fallen order is working on building a new franchise from scratch which while not entirely new news first time we've heard about this in a while so news comes from studio head vince zampella uh, who quote tweeted a tweet announcing a small team at Respawn and that they were hiring for a new intellectual intellectual property. The team is currently made up of five individuals, but is looking to hire a coder to make six. Vince tweeted, looking for an exciting new opportunity, new Respawn project, super exciting stuff, get in early. Quote tweet was from Gluddy Riceball, who said, want to get in early on building a new IP from scratch? We're a team of five right now looking to make six. I literally just read that already. But anyway... This isn't big news because we knew we knew EA was making additional studios out of Respawn and putting Vince Zampella in charge of that and kind of spreading him thin a little bit was the concern that I had when this news first broke. But th- so this isn't surprising to know that you know aside from the inevitable additional Titanfall slash Apex Legends universe content that they're working on, uh, as well as probably a sequel to Jedi Fallen Order for Star Wars. They, they're probably working on something new, but it seems like obviously just from the sheer numbers of uh, number of staff that's being talked about here, whatever this new project is, is going to be something smaller. So maybe we're going to see Respawn, you know, continue to support Titanfall and then have someone do or con- continue to support Apex Legends and then have a second team work on a new Titanfall game or something in the Apex Legends universe, some new kind of story, single player driven game. And then you have your second team, second main team working on Star Wars, but then you can have this little spin-off, smaller side project team that can work on some kind of indie project or small-scale, bite-sized kind of side thing. And that's what it looks like this is. Obviously, this isn't big news. It's weird to see IGN kind of reporting on this, and I guess... I'm responsible for even reporting on it after they reported on it because, again, we knew Vince Sampella was going to be in charge of multiple studios and that EA was kind of making other divisions and other projects and teams. So just the sheer fact that they're working on something new that isn't Titanfall or Apex Legends or or Star Wars or whatever isn't all that surprising because we knew eventually they were working on something. So now this is just a little taste, a little tease that something is happening other than, you know, maybe it is maybe it is Apex Legends. Maybe they're fucking making a Apex Legends mobile game. Not Apex Legends on mobile, but like another Apex Legends game for mobile. Who knows? Anyway, but that's going to do for all of our news this week, guys. Now let's jump real quick into the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to make their own discussion, to warrant their own discussion. we got a couple. So Windows Central reports that Bethesda is releasing its first update for Fallout 76 in their 2021 roadmap with Locked and loaded update. The update kicks off season four and includes plenty of goodies for players while they wait for even bigger expansions headed out for Fallout 76 this summer, including a new camp slot for players to claim and build a second base, a new special loadout to customize and switch between multiple loadouts on the fly, three new locations for daily ops, and several new game modes. Next, Windows Central reports that while Resident Evil Village uh, looks to terrify gamers everywhere and set the bar for a new horror game, Capcom is once again looking to bring multiplayer uh, to Resident Evil with Resident Evil Reverse. A standalone multiplayer title was supposed to launch uh, in tangent with Resident Evil Village, uh, 
and it was even going to be free for anyone who purchases Resident Evil Village, but now the game is confirmed to be uh, delayed till sometime this summer, so it will release a little bit separate from Resident Evil Village. Next, a recent announcement from Xbox Wire confirmed that Dragon Quest Builders 2 is coming to Xbox One, Series X and S via backwards compatibility, and Windows 10 PCs on May 4th, as well as launching on Game Pass for cloud, console, and PC, so... Every form of Xbox gaming will have access to this game on May 4th. Next, as relayed by Windows Central in a blog post, uh, Destiny 2 developer Bungie has declared how the transmog system is coming in Season 14 and how it works. Dubbed Armor Synthesis, the system will allow players to turn 10 pieces of armor per class per season from their collection tab into universal armor ornaments that can be applied to any piece of legendary armor you still have in Season 14. Players can also transmog 20 armor pieces in Season 14. This will make it much easier for players to try to put together one of those best Destiny 2 builds, blah, 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 fashion, Destiny. I've fallen off that game a little bit in recent months, so I don't care. Fuck you. iOS update for, uh, sorry, next up, iOS update 14.5 has added native support for PS5 and Xbox Series X and S controllers for iPhone and iPad, otherwise iOS devices. Available now, the major iOS update adds app tracking transparency, meaning that apps now need to express permissions to track user data, a workaround for those wearing face masks. The update is available now and can be downloaded today. As part of that, Update, uh, game controller support via Bluetooth has also been added too. And lastly, People Can Fly have announced, uh, Outriders developer People Can Fly have announced that they have acquired Phosphor Studios. The developer, which was behind titles such as Dark Meadow and the Brookhaven Experiment, will become People Can Fly Chicago. It will be People Can Fly's seventh studio and their third one in North America. I did not know they were that big. The team's... Oh my god, the terms of the acquisition were not disclosed. Wow, I did not know People Can Fly was that big, but congrats to them on growing just a little bit bigger. This is them basically saying we need some support people for Outriders because that game is doing a lot better than we thought it would. That's how I read that. But that's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. Now, real quick, we will go to our closing segments of the show where we will start with our new game releases of the week. There are 10 new games coming out this week on Xbox Wire. We can run through them real quick. Remember, this is where we go off of the title of the game, the release date, and a single screenshot and judge everything about it based solely off that information. So, Somatically Muffled comes out April 28th, and this is some top-down onion mech warrior kitchen simulator game I don't fucking want to know. Crime Opera The Butterfly Effect comes out April 28th, and it's optimized for Series X and as well as a smart delivery title. This is some kind of visual novel where you play as some nerdy little kid who's slim and wears sweaters uh, sweaters over his button-up shirts. And these two, like, thuggy businessmen are like, oh, guy, uh, we're on the side of the road. Uh, pay us money. So they're, they're, to- they're, they're road toll trolls. And then Ladders by Palgi comes out April 28th. This is one of those puzzle games for people who don't want to do the crossword in the newspaper anymore and then before i forget comes out april 29th optimized for series x and s smart delivery title game looks pretty cool i actually would really like to try this game but the main thing i want to point out is in this game there is a plate of food on this table and i cannot for the life of me figure out if this is just a hot dog bun with a baked potato laying on lettuce because if that's what i'm looking at here that is the that is the absolute worst meal i can ever think of a plain ass hot dog bun presumably not even not even grilled or toasted or whatever. And then beside it, a bed of lettuce with nothing on it but just a raw baked potato. That is that is jail food right there. 
A lethal migraine. Let us know. Is that what they're feeding you in jail? Second Extinction game preview, of course, comes out April 29th. It's out now, guys. It's Xbox uh, Series X and S optimized. It's on Game Pass. No excuse, guys. You got to play it. It's, it's, it's like guns and shooting, but you kill dinosaurs. So that's fucking awesome. Now, next up, War Dogs Red's Return is a game where you play as a anthropomorphic humanoid dog creature. And it looks like... Um, Otherwise, it looks like, looks like Saints Row, and I'm very uncomfortable. Speaking of weird furry games, Angels with Scarly Wings... Uh, was, sorry. Angels with Scaly Wings comes out April 30th, optimized for Series X and S. It looks like some Pokemon furry visual simulator, visual novel knockoff thing, and I'm deeply disturbed by it. This literally looks like a Pokemon just acting like a little anime schoolboy. Uh, Mystic Fate comes out April 30th. It is a top-down, blocky, crossy roads game. So there's a bunch of those. Uh, if you don't have an iPhone with access to free apps, you could pay money for that. Protocol pre- sorry, Protocol comes out April 30th, and it looks like the outside of one of those um, those those doors in Star Wars that are on like the the bad guy ships. You know how they're all like they're all like sliding doors, and they have like the red lights on it, and they play. It, it all looks like sleek and everything. It's just literally one of those doors. So it is a door. Where you pl- it is a game where you play as one of the doors from Star Wars. R-Type Final 2 comes out April 30th. Optimized for the new console, smart delivery, and an R-Type is an awesome uh, side-scrolling space combat shooter game. So definitely want to recommend that to you. But I'm really interested in Protocol. I'm really interested in playing a game as one of those, one of those doors from the Imperial ships on Star Wars. Uh, but with that said... Uh, it's time for a reminder with Games of Gold. We have our last week of April games, so be sure to download these titles. And then we have our May games of gold just announced. So for April, go ahead, finish up and download Vikings, Wolves, of Midgar. Go ahead and download Truck Racing Championship, which is actually available until May 15th. Go ahead and download Dark Void. Eh, just kidding. You missed it. You fucking suck. And then go ahead and download Hard Corpse Uprising. Do it. I don't give a shit. And then in a few days, it will be May. And when that happens, you'll have new games. And the new games are as follows. we got Armello, which I've never heard of. It's available for the entire month of May. Dungeons 3, available from May 16th to June 15th. Uh, some game I've never heard of. And then Lego Batman is available May 1st to 15th. That's a 360 backwards compatible title. And lastly, our other 360 backwards compatible title is Tropico 4, which is a game people actually like a lot. And that's available the latter half of May. So with that said... Tons of free games to download, tons of Game Pass games to check out, tons of Xbox to be played. And so let me get out of your way so that there's nothing standing in between of you and your dreams. You got the podcast is over, console's powerful, the dreams are big, and with that power and with that desire to dream, I want you to follow your nose. Just see.
Apollo.